Okay, let's get down to the Word of God, brothers and sisters. Open up your Bibles to Ephesians. We're just taking our time moseying through the book of Ephesians, plan on being here for a long time. We're looking at this prayer that Paul prayed for the saints in Ephesus. Uh, Today we're looking at verses 19 and 20. We did the same last week, we'll do the same again next week, just kind of camping out on these uh, couple of verses, 19 and 20, but we'll start reading verse 15 for context. Paul writes and says, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. And I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what your word tells us today, that there is incredible power available to us for living. Lord, we would confess before you our weakness, our frailty as it comes to resisting sin and the schemes of the enemy and the foolishness of our own flesh. Confess before you that we're sometimes overwhelmed with life and the challenges of life, both internal and external. Struggle with ourselves and relationships and we often struggle in our relationship with you and our sense of security in that. And yet if there's one thing we know, it's that before the foundations of the world, you loved us and chose us in Christ. And that you adopted us into your own family through Christ and that that's what you wanted to do and it gave you great pleasure. And so Lord, take pleasure today as you bless and instruct your chosen ones, give us insight, discernment, wisdom, knowledge. Thank you that your word will not return void. It will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent forth. Thank you for the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, who's a teacher of all things. We ask together that you would anoint me to teach and preach in a way that would bring you glory, that would open up and expound and clarify your truth and in no way confound or muddy it. And we pray that you give us ears to hear and hearts that are ready to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit working through the Holy Word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we started last week and we're continuing now looking at this thing Paul says. He's praying that they will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. And so we started asking last week, what is God's power? Where does it come from? What does it do? And most appropriately for us who have difficulty in life often, who have this sense of weakness and frailty and a need for power, how do we appropriate and experience this power of God that scripture is telling is for us? In four ways that we're suggesting in these few sermons, the first one we looked at last week, the blood of Christ. You remember, we looked at the power that is in the blood, that strange Christian concept, there's power in the blood, right? We looked at that and what it means and try to demystify that a bit. And then the word of God, there's power in the word of God, and that's what we're looking at today. And then in the weeks to come, the power of the person of the Holy Spirit and the power of prayer. And what we want to say to this and what we want to get is this idea that God has invested 
power in his word. That the word of God, both as he speaks it and as he has recorded it, is powerful. Scripture tells us that God spoke everything into existence. That there was nothing but God and then God spoke everything that is into existence. Eight different times in Genesis chapter 1 it says, Then God said and something was created. Eight different times God speaks and creation springs forth. Do you understand the tremendous power that's in that? He speaks and all of creation is brought forth. The prophets then in the Old Testament would go on to speak about about the power of God and record God saying such things as he said in Jeremiah 23. Does not my word burn like fire, says the Lord? Is it not like a mighty hammer that smashes a rock to pieces? So not only does God's word create all things through God speaking it, but God's word continues throughout history to be like a fire and a hammer. It's effective. It's powerful. It changes things. The psalmist would uh, reverberate this in Psalm 29 when he says, The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. He would go on to say, It shatters the cedars of Lebanon. It's like lightning so to speak. And then Jesus, who is the word incarnate, John 1 says, would come on the scene and display the power of God in the word, in word. Jesus would speak and people were healed. Jesus would speak and storms were calmed. He would speak to the wind and it would cease. He would speak to the waves and they would fall flat. Jesus would speak and demons would flee. Sometimes into pigs, just saying. (laughs) Just saying. Just saying. Jesus would speak and people would be raised from the dead. When Jesus spoke at the grave of Lazarus and he said, Lazarus, come forth. He had to say his name. Otherwise, every dead person in Israel would have come out of the grave. Jesus was demonstrating the power of God's word over sickness, over demons, over natural forces, and over death. And then the Bible makes it very personal. It makes it very applicable brings it very near to us as the written word of God. And it becomes very practical. It says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God or God breathed and is useful to teach us what is true. This is very practical now. The same word that spoke everything into existence, shattered the cedars of Lebanon, was majestic, the psalmist said, like a fire and a hammer, Jeremiah recorded. The same one that raised Lazarus from the dead is useful. Teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. This radical power in the word of God, one of the things that Paul is referring to when he says he wants us to understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us is made practical and near to us in scripture. In his kindness, God put the power of his word in written form for us to have, to hold, to experience, to consume. 
in his kindness. God put the power of his word in written form that it might ever be before us and become incredibly useful to us. And this is the very thing that Paul's wanting us to understand. And as we think about our frail lives and the temptations and the circumstances that we encounter, and we think about the need for God's power, I mean, does, does anybody sense here a need for God's power in their life, or is it just me? Okay. As we think about that, that, that felt need that we have for a power that is greater than us, we must say this, that there is no hope of experiencing that power apart from the work of God's Word. Okay, if God's word is not a real and vibrant part of your life, then you have very little hope of experiencing the fullness of the power of God. Just like you have very little hope of experiencing any real physical power if you never consume food. If you're never consuming the word of God, very little hope for experiencing the fullness of the power that we're referring to. We need it for life. So how does it affect our lives? What is the word of God powerful for? The power of the word of God, point number one, number one, excuse me. The word of God has a power to save us. First Peter 1 Peter 1.23. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. That's not to say it's separate from the salvific work of Christ upon the cross. But what we have is the word, the report, the truth of Christ's work upon the cross for us. That's what the gospel is. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. James 1.18, he chose to give us birth, birth to us, excuse me, by giving us his true word. The gospel is the truth about what Christ has done for us because of the love of God. We hear it, we respond to it, we put our hope and faith in Jesus Christ, and we are born again. The word of God has a power to save humanity through the finished work of Christ on the cross. Number two, the word of God has a power to create faith in us. Both saving faith and sustaining faith, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You're thinking as we're heading toward Easter, wow, I want to invite so-and-so. I just, they, they just don't seem like they believe. What, I, I don't know whatever would make them believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Bring them to hear the word of God. Speak the word of God into their lives. You don't have to say this chapter and this verse. But speak the word of God into their lives. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The word of God is alive and active. It won't return void. It's powerful. It has an effect in the hearts and minds of women. For saving faith, Romans 10, 17. And for sustaining faith, John 20, 31. These are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Listen, it's a normal part of the Christian life to struggle with doubt. Anybody ever struggle with doubt about our faith? and some of the, yeah, that, That's a normal part of the Christian life. It's not, it's not sinful to do that. But what, what, what is folly is to not turn to the word of God to have our doubts confronted where we find saving faith and sustaining faith. These things were written so that you might continue to believe. My brothers and sisters whom I love, I, I know what it is to doubt. 
I know what it is to struggle. But I know what it is to turn to the word of God and have my soul ministered to by the spirit of God and nourished so that my faith is bolstered. Number three, the word of God has a power to keep us from sin. Anybody want to sin less? Just me. Wow, you guys are awesome. Anybody want to sin less? You should all want to sin less. The word of God has the power to keep us from sin. Psalm 119 verse 9. How can a young person stay pure? It works for old people too. By obeying God's word. The psalmist said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Here's here's a great strategy for those of us that are saying, gosh, I... I hate that sin that I fall into repeatedly or I I hate this pattern in my life or I hate that sinful reaction that I have toward my husband when he says this. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Those things that you're struggling with, search the word to discover what the word has to say about them. Commit them to memory. Hide them in your heart so that when you begin to engage in that behavior, the Holy Spirit brings you to remembrance and there's power to keep you from it. It's not just some cute little saying like a fortune cookie. There's, sorry, I was starting to yell. There's power in the word of God. There is power to keep you from sin. It's been said, this book will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from this book. I I just want to testify, can I get a witness that when I commit myself to the careful, regular reading of scripture, I find it easier to resist sin. Can I get a witness? And conversely, when, when I neglect that, I find myself more easily given to my sinful proclivities. Can I get a witness? This book will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from this book. It has a keeping effect. My wife taught me this verse in this strategy years ago, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Right? We always think we're alone and nobody knows what I'm going through. And the Bible says, everyone's going through that, dude. Chill out. <laughs> the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted by more than you can stand. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Pause right there for a second. That, that's such a bummer, right? Because we have that phrase that says, I just couldn't help it. There was nothing I could do. And the Bible says, actually, God promises that he's put parameters upon temptation. All joking aside, now this is wonderful news for us who are confronted with radical temptation. God has put parameters on temptation. He has not given Satan free license to just ravage your life. He's not given temptation open license to just suck you into no end. God is faithful who will not let you be tempted beyond that which you're able to bear, the scriptures say. So that lovingly removes that excuse of, I just couldn't help myself. You may be right, you couldn't help yourself, but God could have helped you. Then it says, when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Most times in my life, that way out 
It is a scripture that combats that sinful behavior that I've committed to memory, that I've hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against him. So again, brothers and sisters, identify your sinful proclivities. Search the word of God to see those verses that address those things. Commit them to memory. Hide the word of God in your heart that you might not sin against him. There's power in those words. And the moment that the Holy Spirit brings it to remembrance, he will strengthen you with strength from on high to stand firm in the face of temptation. Can I get a witness? Number four, the word of God has power to cleanse our lives and our way of living. Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present to himself her to himself is a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. I find that it helps me when I take frequent baths in the word of God. When, when I let God's spirit wash me in God's word, right? What's it say there? Washed by the cleansing of God's word. I just find that my own sinfulness and my own thought life and the things that I choose to look at and say and engage in and surround myself, sometimes just the weight of the filth of them. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and we go to the word and we open up the word and we say, God, I, man, those, that darkness that I've been dabbling with, and it's, Lord, just wash me of those things. And he just, he just washes our souls in the word. He just washes our souls in the word. He ministers to us afresh the gospel, the truth of Christ's substitutionary death on the cross by which we are forgiven and made new and washed clean. Number five, the word of God has the power to make us holy, practically sanctify us, not just positional holiness, practical holiness, not just being holy because Christ views or God views us through the lens of Christ, but actually behaving in a holy manner by the power of God. In the power of the word. John 17, Jesus, before he's crucified, prays about us. Make them holy by your truth. Sanctify them in your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. You see, through faith in Christ's finished work upon the cross, we are justified made holy positionally. Through learning and living the word of God, we are sanctified, made holy practically. It changes the way that we think about sinful behavior and the degree to which we engage in sinful behavior. The word of God has power to make us holy in living. Number six, the word of God has power to build us up. Paul, in speaking to the elders of the church in Ephesus, this very church that we're studying right now, says in Acts 20, and now I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You see, I feel that I need to be built up in my faith frequently. Sin, the devil, and the world have this breaking down tearing down effect. And, and I find that, that my soul needs to be built up. My, my life needs to be built up. And the word of God has the power to build us up. Number seven, the word of God has the power to show us how to live. Psalm 19, the commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. 
insight for living. How do I glorify God in this instance? How do I serve and be faithful to God in my job? It seems so menial. How, how am I faithful there? My marriage has gotten difficult. It seems like the thrill is gone. How do I glorify God and be faithful there? How do I rekindle that love relationship? I've got a new child or my child is entering the teen years. How, how do I shepherd this child, raise this child, love this child in the face of all the challenges? The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. It's not just man's wisdom. It's not just good advice. It's not something Oprah said. It's the same word of God that spoke everything into existence and raised men and women from the dead. Made practical to us in the written word and giving us insight for living. Number eight, the word of God has power to make our lives secure and fruitful and prosperous. Psalm 1, how blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season, and its leaves do not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers." The man or woman who meditates on the word of God, delights in the word of God, is firmly planted, yields fruit, doesn't wither, and prospers. As opposed to the neglect of the word of God and the power extended to us in it by the spirit of God, when we neglect that, there's this tendency in our lives to experience instability, dryness, tiresome, fruitless living. I've lived both ways, man. I've lived a life saturated in the word of God and I've lived a life that ignored the word of God. I've experienced those dry, unstable, fruitless times and those rich, firmly planted, fruit-bearing, prosperous times with the Lord. Number nine, the word of God has the power to prepare us to live life on mission. Every Christian is called to live life on mission for the glory of God. And we're prepared for that mission in the word of God. If you're waking up in the morning, you're saying, gosh, my church keeps telling me that I'm supposed to live life on mission, but I haven't got any idea how to do that. The word of God prepares you for that. It says about the word of God, 2 Timothy, God uses it to prepare and equip his people for every good work. I just got this job. I just go there. I'm in this cubicle. There's this person next to me. What's God's mission for me there? I'm a student. I go. I'm trying to learn. I'm barely trying to survive. I just can't even get my homework done. What's God's mission for me there? And how do I fulfill that mission? The Word of God prepares us for every good work by the Spirit of God. Number 10, the Word of God has power to sustain us. Right? Jesus said in confronting the devil in Matthew 4, 4, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There's more to life than physical sustenance. Here's the folly of life, is that we give so much attention to the physical and very little to the spiritual. Right? When the physical is cold, we cover it up. When it's hot, we, we fan it. When it's hungry, we feed it. When it's sore, we massage it. When it's tired, we lay it down. Well, what about our spirit? What do we do when our spirits are cold and dry and weary and uncomfortable? The Word of God. Hebrews 1.3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Our lives are meant to be sustained by Christ through his word. Number 11, yes, I'm on my 11th point. 
The word of God has power to keep us from stumbling, Psalm 119, 165. Those who love thy law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. The things in life that would derail you, defray you, knock you over, when we're committed to the word of God, they, they just don't rock us in the same way. They just don't rock us in the same way. Listen, when my daughter was diagnosed with cancer, the first time and the second time, I survived on the Psalms. I would open up the Psalms and the Spirit of God would meet me there and nourish my soul and sustain me and my wife and our family and build us up. With I, I don't know how people do it without that. Maybe, maybe they're better, stronger, I don't know. But we were sustained that way. And, and what normally would have thrown us into a tailspin, our daughter being diagnosed with cancer for the second time, 30% chance to live, didn't ruin us or shipwreck us. It brought us closer to Jesus as we discovered him in the word. Point number 12, the word of God has the power to keep us safe from the evil one. This is good news. Jesus, again, John 17, his high priestly prayer the night before the cross says, now I'm coming to you, speaking to the Father. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, Right? Some of us are just kind of holding on, just, Jesus, take me home. I know that feeling. Jesus prayed against them. I'm not, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one because you have a mission in the world. If you're still alive, it's because Christ has a purpose for your life in the world, who you are, where you are right now. The word of God prepares you for that. The word of God sustains you in that. And the word of God keeps us from the schemes of the enemy as a spiritual battle of that unfolds. Verse 13, the word of God has power to give us victory over the enemy. In the context of spiritual warfare, Ephesians 6 says, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's what Jesus did when confronted with the enemy in Matthew 4 and the parallel account in Luke 4. He confronted it, him with the word of God. Number 14, this is very important. The word of God has the power to make us honest with ourselves. Some of you need to hear this right now. Power to make us honest with ourselves. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. You see, the beautiful thing about the Bible is when you read it, you're not just reading it, it's reading you. And when you do read your Bible, don't just mark it. Let it mark you. It's alive and active. It makes us honest with ourselves. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires so that we can deal with them in light of the gospel and by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word. Psalm 119, I've prayed this prayer many times. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. Verse, or excuse me, point number 15, the word of God has a power to make us mature. First Peter 2 says, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you've tasted the kindness of the word. Listen, no word, no growth. I know Christians and I'm friends with Christians who have been Christians for 30, 40 years. And then I know and I'm friends with Christians who have been Christians for two years and they are significantly more mature in the faith than the Christian of 40 years because the Christian of 40 years it didn't have a life of being in the living, active word of God. And so their growth was always stunted. 
It was always minimal. But the young man or woman who commits himself to, to the word of God grows because it's nourishment to the soul. And it is the means by which God has ordained that we would grow with respect to salvation. So if you don't want to grow in the Lord, don't read the Bible. No, I'm serious. Some of you are giving me these snooty little looks. Like, no, I'm serious. Make a choice at some point. Be a responsible Christian. If you don't want to grow in the Lord, don't commit yourself to Scripture. If you have a desire to grow in the Lord, you simply must commit yourself to Scripture. It's where that happens. It doesn't mean life is going to be perfect, but we will become mature. Point number 16. Point number 16. The Word of God has a power to make us wise. Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies. They are my constant guide. Yes, I have more insight than my teachers, for I am always thinking of your laws. I'm wiser than even my elders, for I've kept your commandments. I refuse to walk on any evil path so that I may remain obedient to your word. I haven't turned away from your regulations, for you have taught me well. How sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. I, mean, I, need, I need wisdom for living. This whole church gig that I'm involved in, I'm, 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 I'm in way over my head here. My son, he's 11 years old. He's changing. This whole prepubescent thing is freaking me out. Marriage has different dynamics 15 years in. 40 is different than 22. Need wisdom for living. Where, where do I turn for that? The word of God. Where do we turn for that? The word of God. There's, there's a promise there. Point number 17. The word of God has the power to give us assurance. Okay, assurance of salvation. 1 John 5, 13. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Has anybody ever said, gosh, I don't even know if I'm saved. What do you do with that? Turn to the word of God. Nourish yourself on the God, word of God. Take your weary, heavy laden soul to the word of God and let it minister to you the assurance of the gospel and what Christ has done for you and his choosing of you. We all need to be reminded from time to time that even when we're faithless, God is faithful. And even though we cheese out, God will never bail out on this covenant relationship he's entered into us, in, into us with, into us with, whatever. Verse 18, the word of God has power to give us peace. Psalm 85, I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying, for he speaks peace to his faithful people. I listen carefully. How do we, how do we listen right here? I listen carefully to what the word of God is saying, for he speaks peace into my life. The word of God has the power to give us comfort and hope. Romans 15, 4. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. There's such a difficult tension within Christianity because the nature of the kingdom of God by which we become part through putting our faith in Jesus Christ, we've been delivered from the domain of darkness, brought into the kingdom of the beloved son, the nature of the kingdom of God is that it's here, present now. It's already here in the world, and yet it's not yet. It's to come. It's future. 
And there's this tension between experiencing the power in the kingdom of God now and yet knowing that the fullness of our salvific life and what God's going to do in the world is yet to come. It's a difficult sort of tension. And we find ourselves waiting on the promises of God to be fulfilled. When will our children not have cancer anymore? When will our beloveds not, not die anymore? When will there no longer be genocides or what's going on over there? When will justice come? These are things that we wait upon. And the scriptures were given to give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. And point number 20, the last one. The word of God has the power to give us joy. The word of God has the power to give us joy. Psalm 19, the commands of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. Psalm 119, if your instructions, this has been a huge one for my life, if your instructions hadn't sustained me with joy, I would have died in my misery. And some of you are going through such hard times right now. I'm telling you, Christ will meet you in the pages of the book. He will meet you there, give you peace, sustenance, comfort, hope, and even joy in the face of those trials. Psalm 119 verse 143, as pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. What do we do with pressure and stress? You know, in today's culture, there's a lot of places to go with pressure and stress, right? There's the age-old place of drinking, Many of us go there, that feeling of, gosh, I just need a cold one right now. Or I just need a glass of wine. Uh, we can go to drugs. Many of us go there, right? Just got to take the edge off a little bit. Just something to kind of get me over the hump. Just something to get me through. Many of these days are going to pornography, right? Just a way to sort of just check out mentally and let your flesh run wild. Right? Many of us go to... Uh, Mystery and forbidden fruit, flirting with others, unfaithfulness within the marriage context. For some of us, it comes out as violence and anger. For some of us, masking. For some of us, lashing out in different ways. Where do we go with the stress that we all have? We all have the stress that bears down on us. And, and the psalmist said, I find joy in your commands. I find joy in your word, your truth. It sustains me. It nourishes me. It refreshes my soul. It lifts me up. It gives me hope and comfort and peace and even joy in the stressful times. Listen, just, just let me encourage you. Instead of turning that on, try opening up the word one time. Instead of opening that up or taking that thing, just try the word of God. Just try what God says to be true. Jeremiah the prophet said, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight. See, some, some of you just haven't discovered that about God's word yet. It's meant to be your joy and your heart's delight. Jesus said in John 15, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. 
So in Paul, praying for the church in Ephesus and us to have this experience of God's power in our lives, if the word of God has the power to save us, create faith in us, keep us from sin, cleanse our lives, make us holy, build us up, show us how to live, make our life secure, fruitful, and prosperous, prepare us for mission, sustain us, keep us from the evil one, give us victory over the devil, make us honest, make us mature, make us wise, make us sure, give us peace, give us hope, give us comfort, and give us joy. If that's what the word of God does, then why don't we just devour it as God's people? If that's the promise of the word, why wouldn't we give that a shot? Why, why, why wouldn't we search the word, study the word, read the word, meditate upon the word, let the word of Christ dwell richly in us, as it says in Colossians? What, what is it that you're doing that holds so much more promise. What, 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 what TV show is it that's so much better than that? Which TV show is giving you hope and sustaining you and peace and joy? Which one is that? Only the Word of God does that. Now let me say this. The Word of God is like exercise in this way. Tell me if this resonates with you. Anybody ever been on an exercise kick, like running or jogging or going to the gym or something like that? Anybody ever? Very few of you exercise? That's not good, no. It's Santa Barbara, everyone's exercising here. Um, when you're in that kick and you're exercising a lot, have you ever noticed how you're just stoked to do it and it's kind of like an addiction and you just want to keep doing it, right? Like a few years ago, I was on this running thing and I was running with a couple of friends of mine and uh, I just want, I'd wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I can't wait to run. Okay, now I haven't ran in a couple years now and it sounds like hell to me. <laughs> like hell. Like if somebody said, let's go on a run. No, never. <laughs> but, 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 it, but it's good for you. Let's just go on a quick run. Never. There's no desire in me whatsoever to run for any distance at any time, at any speed, in any way, for any reason. And yet when I was running regularly, I loved it and I couldn't wait to run. There's something about humanity where we're like that. We pervert that and we do it with things like alcohol and other stuff. But there's, there's something about us that's given to that. And the word of God works that way in our lives. Let, let me just tell you that when I don't read the word of God, I don't want to read the word of God. I'm telling you as your pastor, there's times in my life where I won't, won't read the word of God for days and at the end of those days, I don't have a desire to. Conversely, when I'm reading the word of God on a regular basis, I find that when I wake in the morning, I want to read the word of God. And during the day and at the end of the day, I want to read the word of God. Reading the word of God begets reading the word of God. Neglecting it begets neglecting it. So if you're in a place in neglect, these are one of those moments by the power of the Holy Spirit, you just need to choose to do the right thing according to the promise of God and begin to read the word. It might be tedious at first, like getting back into jogging, stinking shin splints and this and that, and oh, I can't breathe. But after a while, you hit a rhythm and it's this life-giving thing. An imperfect, perhaps, uh, profane analogy, but reading the Word of God is the same way. If you've been out of it and you start reading it tomorrow morning, it's going to be difficult the first day. But I promise you, according to what Scripture says, it will yield tremendous fruit in your lives and nourish your soul, and it will become your delight, as it did the prophet Jeremiah. 
What else has that sort of power? Listen, last thing I'll say is this. Jesus said in Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Everything else has an expiration date, but not the word of God. Long after the news press is gone, the word of God will stand and remain. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we're asking that by your Holy Spirit, you would do a work in our lives that we would say with the psalmist that your words are sweet, sweeter than honey in our mouths, that your word would become our joy and our heart's delight. So Holy Spirit, make good on all these promises. We're just simple folk. We just, we believe your word. I'm asking the Holy Spirit, you would make good on all these promises. And that as we give ourselves to this holy, wonderful, living and active book, we find faith and strength, holiness and purity, encouragement and instruction, fruitfulness and security, maturity and wisdom, peace, hope, comfort, and joy. We need it in our lives, Lord. We need it. Thank you that you've not left left us alone. You've given us your spirit and your word. Cause us to pursue hard after both. To the glory of Jesus, amen.